And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning to The Real Investment Show. Of course, it's the second best day of the week. Also means that Michael Leewitz joins us, which, you know, that if we can get past him, the day's good after that. So, I mean, it's, it's all fine. Uh, I do want to wish my son happy birthday today. It is his 20th birthday. If that does not make you feel old, I don't know what does. There's actually a very interesting chart out this morning. It's running on Twitter right now. So if you get by Twitter, go to at Lance Roberts on Twitter, X. I'm never going to call it X. It's going to be Twitter until I die. But anyway, if you go to Twitter, at Lance Roberts, I have a chart out this morning showing the you smile, right? So it's, a, it's, it's basically a chart that looks like a smile. And it's by age, and I, this, this just rang home to me this morning, right? So, so this is out there right now. But in your 20s, you know you're really happy, right? Your, your, your happiness level's pretty high. And then you graduate college, and you've got to get a job, and pay bills and your happiness falls and your happiness continues to fall and decline until you're in your 40s and then it kind of starts to trough in your 40s and then when you get into your 50s right things start to look better (laughs) and by your 60s 70s and 80s your happiness level this is why old people are always so happy right because in your 60s 70s and 80s life is good not because things are great. It's because you're almost dead. You're almost <laughs> done with this shit show. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, you're just realizing you're almost at the finish line. That's why you're happy. So, <laughs> how do you explain grumpy old men? Oh, they're just they're just they're just trying to keep the secret. Oh, okay. Right. So right. yeah, grumpy old men. They're just it's, it's like a, get off my lawn. They're just they're just keeping the secret. It's a facade. It's a facade. Yeah. They're actually very happy because they know it's almost over. But anyway, you should see some of the comments on Twitter today. They're, they're great. Um, anyway. Well, happy birthday to him. <laughs> yes, happy birthday to him. But it does make me feel old when, you know, he's... T- <laughs> it, it really, it, it tells you two things, right? So first of all, you know, like the picture of him in my phone, this is how bad I am about my phone. <laughs> I use, you know, I use my phone for two things, right? To text my wife <laughs> and, and to make a phone call. That's it. That's all my phone gets used for. Maybe check an email every now and then. But, you know, the, the picture of him in my phone is like <laughs> he was eight. <laughs> so, I have other pictures. I just never change it. But it does make you realize how, time, how fast oh, yeah. Yeah. time flies. I mean, it just, it's like, oh, yeah, yesterday he was running around in diapers. Today he's 20 years old and he's, you know, he knows everything. Yeah, well, You know, wait. by the way, I do have the smartest children on the planet. Well, there, we know There this. is no doubt about that. Yes. They know everything. No matter what I tell them, mm-hmm. they know it already. Sure. So, I mean, I don't have to tell them anything, you know, until he calls me up. He's like, how do I get my inspection on my car? I'm like, <laughs> I thought you knew this. <laughs> I thought you knew everything. <laughs> every, every parent has the smartest children because oh, yeah. yeah. they know everything. <laughs> wait till your firstborn turns 40. I, I, sent, I sent an email to my son yesterday. I said, the one good thing about you turning 20 is when you start to have your own kids, you're going to realize how stupid all your lies you told me really sounded because they were the same lies we told our parents, right? Circle of life. <laughs> exactly. There ain't nothing you've done. And that's, that's so funny, too, because my kids think that they, they pull the wool over my wife and I's eyes like we don't know what's going on. 
It's like, ah, we sneaked that one past him. It's like, no, <laughs> we know everything because <laughs> we did it. We, we invented most of the yeah. stuff that you're doing. <laughs> we know the punchline before you deliver it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, lots of stuff to get into this morning. Of course, the Fed yesterday um, had their announcement. Again, pretty much as expected, but don't worry. Uh, I will allow Michael Leibowitz at least two or three minutes to, you know, ramble on about what the Fed said yesterday. We do have a lot of stuff to get into about that, though. Um, but here's what you need to know before the bell. This is going to be a little bit long one this morning, so just bear with me. I've got a few things to go through. Uh, first of all, just looking at the S&P 500, we've had three good days of a rally. So markets are not overbought yet. Futures are pointing higher this morning following the Fed's announcement yesterday. Earnings continue to be very well. Um, so we're not overbought yet. We're very close to triggering that buy signal on the MACD, which would kind of confirm that we're moving into that seasonally strong period of the markets. Today, though, however, we've got a challenge. We are sitting right at the 200-day moving average, so the market needs to get up. Like if we open up this morning, that's fine. We need to close today and tomorrow above the 200-day moving average. The market needs to get up above the 200-day moving average and close the week above the 200-day moving average. Now that's critical because that's going to stop that downward pressure short-term on the markets, and that'll help alleviate that. That will also, if we can get up above the 200-day moving average hold that today and tomorrow, close out that week there, that will also trigger the MACD buy signal and confirm that signal. So again, we've got a couple of very important days here uh, in the markets today and tomorrow. Now, tomorrow's the big employment report. The ADP report uh, yesterday was, was weak, but ADP has not had a big correlation to uh, the BLS employment report as of late. So again, if we have a super strong uh, employment report tomorrow that might throw in some fears of inflation that could put pressure on the market. So again, we've got we've got a couple of days here ahead of us of some potential chops. So pay attention to that. I do want to jump to a couple of other assets real quick. Gold um, has had a big run here as of late, not surprisingly because of what happened uh, between Hamas and Israel. Uh, so again, that's had a big run. It's about to flip back to a sell signal here. Um, ran up to about 2000, which has been, a, you know, kind of a real, uh, you know, kind of resistance line for gold prices right now. Uh, yields are starting to fall on bonds. That's going to put a little bit of pressure on gold prices. So again, uh, just kind of keep a watch on this. If you're long gold here, you might want to take a little bit of profit off the table. We recently added some gold to our all weather portfolio. We'll probably take some profits there today uh, because we are very close to that sell signal. Uh, which has actually been a pretty elevated sell signal. It's been a big run for gold here just recently. Um, outside of that, also talking about yields, uh, yields fell sharply yesterday on the back of Jerome Powell's announcement. Pretty much, and again, we'll talk about this, but pretty much he's saying the Fed is done. We're, we're done hiking rates at this point. Yields have been doing the job for us. Uh, importantly, though, we broke below the 20-day moving average yesterday. Uh, that's really kind of been the, the running trend line of yields here for a bit. So again, if yields continue to fall here a bit, the next level of support is going to be about 4.5% on the 10-year Treasury. Um, we are on a sell signal for rates. That's an inverse signal for bonds. That's a buy signal for bonds, sell signal for uh, interest rates. And we're not oversold yet. So there is some room here for yields to fall a bit more. And so we'll see, you know, kind of how the bond market reacts. But if we have a cooler employment report, you know, following the uh, ADP report yesterday, 
anything that suggests the economy is slowing down here, uh, anything that suggests that inflation is pretty much under control at this point, that's going to cause a drop in yields. So just kind of keep a watch on that. But we do have a potential setup here for a bit of a fall in yields. That would certainly lift bond prices, which have been under a lot of pressure. So not surprising you're going to reflex. Uh, Bitcoin has had a very big jump here. Of course, also in line with the Israeli conflict, uh, had a big jump in, in Bitcoin prices. Extremely overbought here. So if you're long Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, might want to think about taking a little bit of money off the table here. Again, you'll probably get a decent pullback. Uh, have an opportunity to add back to it. But again, just real overbought on a short-term basis. It's been a very sharp rally uh, just in a very short period. So again, just that's not sustainable long-term. So again, you might want to think about just kind of reducing your position a little bit. If you own cryptocurrency-related assets, take a little bit of uh, profit off the table here and look for a better opportunity uh, to add that money back in. Uh, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Again, lots of stuff to get into with Michael Leibowitz about the Fed yesterday. So hang around. More of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, yes, yesterday was the uh, the big Fed announcement. Before we get to that real quick, just today, um, we're in the middle of earnings. Uh, we've had three straight quarters of earnings advances. Earnings are up about 19% from their lows from last year. So earnings are improving uh, very nicely uh, across the board for companies. Um, today, of course, is the, the big day um, this week. It's Apple uh, reporting this afternoon. But we also have Moderna. Eli Lilly just reported quarter three results this morning. That stock's down uh, a smidge uh, on their results. Um, of course, you know they're the Ozempic uh, fat loss, you know, weight loss drug that is um, doing that, you know, and, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the problem, you know, with this whole kind of weight loss drug thing, right? I, I think it's fine, but, you know, every time I try to eat healthy, then, you know, like I've been working really hard lately, you know, we're, I go in the gym, I'm eating right. And then here comes Thanksgiving <laughs> and then, you know, then it's Christmas and then you have summer Friday and Wednesday and it's always screwing up my eating, right? Cannot so catch a you break. cannot catch a break. Fridays and Wednesdays are the worst. Because Fridays are Mexican food day. <laughs> At my house, every day is Mexican food day. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, we do have a lot of reports. Uh, Peloton uh, reporting this is the the uh, the stationary coat hanger uh, company. <laughs> I Hotel Peloton, the bike that turned into Got stationary, stationary coat hangers. Yes, yes, expensive clothing. <laughs> Racks, yes. Yeah. Um, DraftKings today, Dropbox, Ferrari, GoDaddy, uh, Marriott Hotels, uh, the International, uh, the Intercontinental Exchange. Palantir reported earnings this morning. Uh, actually had a very good report for Palantir. That stock's going to be up about 5% today. Um, so anyway, just a big, and Yelp gets rated today. So they will have their rating this afternoon. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> so lot, lot, look, we've this, but by, by the end of tomorrow, we will have 80%, rough, roughly 80% of the S&P 500 will have reported earnings. So, 
you know, we're, we're getting through earnings season very quickly here. Okay, so uh, for the conversation, though, that you've been hanging on by your fingernails for, Michael Leibowitz yeah. joining me this morning to talk a little bit about uh, Jerome Powell yesterday. Um, pretty much, Mike, it was um, really a, a non-event. It was the same speech, give or take, as what he said two weeks ago at the Economic Council. Yeah, yeah, he continues to say the same thing. When he, he spoke a couple weeks ago, we noted at the time that there were quite a few Fed speakers that over the prior week had been bringing up that higher long-term rates are doing the Fed's job for him. And two weeks ago, he said the same thing. And then he largely repeated it yesterday. Um, both the Fed in their Fed statement repeated it and then or added it to the statement. And he said it numerous times right. that basically you know, banks have been holding out credit, they've been cutting back on credit. And that's been on the margin slowing growth. But at the end of the day, higher rates, especially for auto loans, car loans, corporate loans, are what's really taking uh, or will take kind of the steam out of the economy. Right. Um, and, uh, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say and also too, it was, it was interesting that um, Nick Timrose, uh, of course, he's he's now being termed Nikki Leaks, uh, basically said the same thing in one of his articles that, yeah. you know, the the Fed's, you know, kind of insistence of, you know, talk, you know, saying, hey, you know, it's, you know, yields are doing it, that kind of repeated commentary. That's their way of saying the Fed is now done hiking rates. How do, you yeah. tell, how, how do you tell me you're done hiking rates without telling me you're done hiking rates? Right. Right. And they can't. They're still threatening that we can raise rates if we need to raise rates. But at the end of the day, he made it pretty clear that inflation expectations are stable, that inflation has recently kind of stopped declining at the rate it was. Even some items are picking up a little bit, but he doesn't seem concerned. He seems to think they're I'm going to say this and may scare everyone. He, he seems to think they're transitory. Um, we've been down that road before. Yeah. Um, but he does, you know, to his point, and we've talked about this a lot, they do appear to be transitory. We know that shelter prices will be coming down a lot, regardless of what happens to house prices, because they're so they're so backdated. We know energy prices will be coming down because they lag by three to four months. So he's pretty confident we're going to see good inflation data mm -hmm. over the next six months doesn't mean next month's data is going to be much lower uh, uh but again firmly committed to two percent inflation and uh you know what i also wonder if he yeah I, I know he had the employment report i just wonder if that employment report is pretty weak which gave him a little more confidence in kind of being more two-sided about the economy versus overly concerned about growth and inflation. So I guess we'll find that out tomorrow. But yes, on uh, well, yeah, yesterday, ADP was weak for the second month in a row. Um, and Lance, I, I actually read a little something about ADP that's pretty interesting. You know, we always talk about ADP versus BLS and ADP has the advantage because they they process paychecks. They process they do all the human resource work for pay. So they have actual data, whereas the BLS is using surveys. So scientific versus not so scientific. Right. Well, ADP has Social Security numbers. So that means when people have four jobs, ADP has the ability to count them as one one mm -hmm. person whereas the BLS does not. 
Right. So that's something I hadn't thought about, but that clearly uh, may explain why ADP has been weaker than BLS and why ADP is probably telling us a, a more truthful story about the state of the labor market. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, again, you know, and, and also too, just to the point of that, you know, it's, it was interesting because yesterday we had the jolts uh, numbers that came out as a job opening labor right. turnover survey, which were was a bit stronger. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you know, we still have too many job openings. Well, first of all, you got to dig into that number. That number was mostly very low end, you know, wage earners. Right. So your retail, your restaurants, what's going on right now? Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, what are we doing? We're hiring people for the holidays. So, yeah, not surprising you're going to see some signs go up that says, hey, we have a job opening for retail workers for the holidays, right? right. And that, and see, this seems to be the problem that you know a lot of the mainstream media kind of misses. You know, they, they want to create this inflation story that, oh, my gosh, you know, we have this, this massive problem. But you've got to keep in mind what kind of happens – just on a seasonal basis, we're going to hire a lot of people over the course of the next two months, and then they're all going to get fired in January. So, you know, we got to keep that. You know, these are not permanent jobs; these are temporary work for the holiday shopping season. Right, and the quits rate is a very mm-hmm. good tell. Quits rate tells you how many people are voluntarily quitting to go get another job. So, why do you voluntarily quit? It's because you know you can get a higher-paying job, maybe doing something mm-hmm. you like more. Right. Those are people that are very confident in their ability to get a higher paying job. That's back down to where it was right before COVID started. Still historically at a high level, but the it was much higher. And mm-hmm. that's kind of leaked out of the uh, data. So that's also telling us that people are not as emboldened to go out to quit and go try to find another job because they don't think those other jobs that will pay more are there anymore or right. to the degree they did, you know, six, nine months ago. Well, there's also the difference between having a job that is safe versus potentially quitting your job to go out and take another job that, you know, may not be as safe. I've, uh, there's just a couple of recent stories of people. They had a good paying job um, and they quit their job to go take another paying job. And then right when they quit to go to get the other paying job, the other company yanked the job and says, oh, we're not hiring for that job now. Now they're out of a job. So, you know, right. it, there's also that lack of confidence just as the economy gets weaker is just how secure our job's going to be. Now, you know, one thing that we've got to remember about the employment numbers, and, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, we laid off half the workforce, basically, when we went into the COVID shutdown. If you take a look at full-time employment as a percentage of the population, it's actually lower now than it was in 2019. So all we've done is just hire those people that we laid off back to their jobs. So there's not this big overemployment. So we could go into a recessionary type slowdown in the economy and not have a big jump in unemployment because we never actually hired a bunch of new people and created a bunch of new jobs, which normally happens prior to a recession. You've got a very booming economy. Things are great. We overhire. Um, and so we've done we you know we've done a lot of that process over the last couple of years. So if you're expecting this massive jump in unemployment, we may not get that. We might see unemployment rise a little bit, but since we've never really overhired for positions and companies right now in particular are pretty are running pretty lean and mean to protect profit margins. So they don't have a lot of excess employment. And they want to hold on to the employees they have because good good employees are hard to replace. So, again, just from a you know what we call labor hoarding 
um, we might not see unless unless it's a really you know kind of a severe economic downturn that requires um, you know a big a big surge in layoffs. We may not see this you know we might not see a seven eight nine percent unemployment rate um, and still have a recession. So we could have a recession with a fairly low uh, unemployment rate, and that would not be surprising. So just something to kind of think mm -hmm. about. Right. And just keep in mind what the Fed wants. The Fed doesn't want unemployment to rise. It may seem like it based on what they're doing. One of their goals is maximum employment. But what they want is for the wage growth to stop to they want to get back to 2% wage growth because they fear it drives inflation. So at the end of the day, when we look at these employment numbers, what's probably most important is wage growth and things like the job how many jobs are available and the quits rate because that tells us how how much leverage employees have to get more money from their employers right um when we come back from the break um i want to switch gears here a little bit with mike and talk about uh the debt and you know we've talked we've had a lot of conversation out lately Interest rates are going up because we've just got this massive debt and all this deficit, and we're just issuing tons of debt. And in fact, there was an art, you know, lots of articles out just lately about how much debt we're issuing. And it's not a true story. And we'll talk about what the Treasury actually said yesterday as well. And I want to flip this over uh, to talk about some other headlines relating to this that are running around the media right now, scaring the bejesus out of people, and it's not true information or it's really old. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break with Michael Leibowitz. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so the recent run-up in interest rates has certainly garnered a lot of headlines media attention etc it's been great for clickbait uh, for a variety of reasons if you have any type of of idea about why interest rates are going up, people will click on it to read it. So the more outlandish the story, the better the, the clickbait is and the more views you get. And so uh, there's been a lot of stories out as of late and, and everybody trying to come to a reason why or trying to, to spin a yarn about why interest rates can only go higher from here. And this is a repeat of the 70s. Of course, Michael and I have gone through Numerous episodes here on the show talking about why that that cannot be the case, and and it all has to do with leverage. But nonetheless, um, you know the the latest. There's been two two interesting narratives out as of late. Um, the first one is is the debts and the deficits. Right, we're just having to to issue a whole lot more debt and. Um, just recently been headlines talking about we've already had to issue a trillion dollars in debt and we're going to have to issue another 1.7 trillion you know next year in debt and that's a true story it absolutely is true and that's because we're spending about 1 trillion more than we're bringing in in revenue give or take so whatever we don't cover in revenue we have to issue in debt um, but you know again we just you know, you have to keep this in perspective. And Mike has done a great job on this. He's, he's written several articles on this on the website. We've done, I've done the same thing. 
talking about the amount of debt that we continue to issue relative to economic growth, relative to deficits. And by the way, none of this is new. We've been running a deficit and issuing debt since 1980. So all of a sudden now today, it's it's an issue. We've now hit this magical point to where the amount of debt is is now impacting the the, the interest rates on the on on bonds. It, it it wasn't two years ago when we had as an equal amount of debt. <laughs> you know, you know, we've been issuing a tremendous amount of debt for the last forty years. We've been issuing and running a deficit for forty years, and now today it matters. It didn't matter twenty years ago. It didn't matter 10 years ago. It didn't matter under Obama when he doubled the debt. It didn't matter under Trump when he doubled the debt. It just matters now. See, this is why it's important to make sure that the narratives have some type of factual base to them. I want to read to you a headline um, as an example. Um, <laughs> U.S. debt to issue a trillion dollars in new debt. Okay. You know, this is true. Um, the Treasury just came out yesterday, and this was, and, and, and this is where you have to really read the facts and not just the headlines and go make an investment decision based off the headlines. Here was the, the headline yesterday from the Treasury. U.S. slows pace of increase in quarterly long-term debt sales. Up quarterly, upcoming quarterly issuance to total $112 billion. Oh, my gosh, we're just issuing too much debt. $112 billion for a quarter. Okay. Now, the important thing here is, is that you have to read below the headlines. And I'm, and I'm going to stop here and I'm going to, I'm going to read to you what happened yesterday and then I'm going to turn it over to Mike. The U.S. Treasury, and this is from the actual article. So, okay, once you get past the headline, read the freaking article. The U.S. Department of Treasury is offering $112 billion of Treasury securities to refund... $102.2 billion of privately held Treasury notes maturing November the 15th. So what they're doing is they're issuing debt to pay off old debt. Now, again, that's not a great thing, right? But we're just replacing debt. That's all we're doing. We're not increasing the amount of debt. To, uh, we're increasing the total amount of debt by um, $9 billion. $9 billion. Yeah. But... It's not this $112 billion increase. Anyway, so Mike, I want to stop there real quick, turn it over to you, because you've written a lot on this. You've talked about it a lot, you know, but this is the misnomers that are running around, you know, kind of in the markets right now. Right. Look, debt's a problem for this country, and we're not saying that it's not a problem. Correct. I think all we're, what we're really trying to say is that the marginal amount of debt being issued today is not that different from what we've seen over the past. And, you know, we talked about this a few a couple of weeks ago, debt to GDP peaked during a pandemic and it's actually been slightly declining because we're also forgetting that the economy grew at an annualized rate of almost five percent last quarter. So, you know, the Treasury is going to increase their issuance net is net out debt outstanding by 10 billion. And you got an economy growing at what did it grow last quarter? One hundred fifty billion. Right. Um, you know, so it it's it, look again, it's a lot of debt and and it's problematic. But part of the problem is also that government spending is inefficient and it actually slows the economy down, which will in turn push rates lower as it it weighs on inflation and weighs on economic growth. right. Um, but there's a the other part of the story is that the treasury, just like you or me, has a checking account. It's called the TGA, the Treasury General Account. They hold it at the Federal Reserve. 
and every week they tell you how much is in that account. It's up to roughly 700 billion. That's almost the highest, other than during a pandemic, that's the highest, That's it's basically at its peak and well above what was norm before the pandemic. So of all this issuance, some of it is just going into their checking account. They haven't spent it. So not all issuance is true government spending. So, so the treasury is in a position where they have to decide, they, ha- they know how much money they have to raise in the coming quarter, and they look at yields, and they look at their coming needs beyond the coming quarter, and they say, okay, what do we do? And they can draw down that 700 billion. They can issue a lot of short-term bills. They don't have to issue longer-term bills, and that's what they're doing. They're kind of doing the smart thing. They didn't do the smart thing a couple of years ago when rates were really low. They should have been issuing a ton of tens and 30 year bonds. Mm-hmm. But put that aside, if you if you put me in the Treasury right now, I'd say let's just load the market up with Treasury bills. It, yes, it's five percent, five and a half percent. But I don't want to lock in five percent for 10, 20, 30 years. Right. I think rates are going to be much lower. And that's what they're doing. If you look at the change in what they're going to issue. 90% of it is seven years or less. So, you know, less, slightly less than 10% is in tens, twenties and thirties. They're saying they don't want to lock it in. Yeah. And then and, and, and that's, and that's, that's actually kind of smart. And again, I, I agree with you, you know, the, the mistake they made during the pandemic when rates, when the treasury rate, the treasury note rate was half a percent is they should have refinanced all the social security debt. But you know they missed a really right. great opportunity to you know to lower interest rate costs on you know the social welfare system. As and a- just as an aside, right? Just as an aside, corporations and homeowners did that. Right? Yeah, exactly. People refied to three percent mortgages, and corporations termed out their debt for a few years at very low rates. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason we have this lag is because higher interest rates. Higher interest rates. I have a three percent mortgage. They're not affecting me. But as soon as I go to sell my house, they will. Um, <laughs> exactly. And that's why it takes time. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to switch gears here because I, I don't. We're going to round up on the break. But I want to. This this is part and parcel of what you're talking about here. Um, here's another headline this morning from and you know and look. I, I want to be clear with you. Um, you know, you've got to be careful when you read headlines as to the person writing the headline and see what they have to sell you. A disaster guaranteed to happen. Japan's slow motion train wreck. Headline this morning from uh, Peter Schiff. Japan's in the midst of a slow motion train wreck. The country has a massive national debt. Uh, their debt to G- uh, the national debt of Japan is around $9 trillion. We're at 33. Uh, this is well over 200% of the company, country's GDP. Um, the Great headline, right? We're at 112% right now, debt to GDP. Uh, they're at 200 Clearly a disaster waiting to happen. Here's the interesting thing about this headline is, is that this headline has been around since 2004. Back in 2004, 2005, 2006, there were plenty of people talking about the the coming disaster of Japan. They're a fly in search of a windshield because of their debt to GDP. And here they are 20 years later, still plugging along. Now, it's not great. And this is, this is the point that Mike and I have been making is that government debt, 
debt to GDP, high debt to GDP levels don't lead to stronger economic growth. Japan's struggling to keep positive economic growth. Interest rates are around 1% in, in uh, the long-term treasury rate. You know, they don't have economic prosperity because of this massive amount of debt, but they're also not a disaster at the moment. Now, eventually, will there be a disaster in Japan? Probably, but it could be another 20 years. So if you're betting on that, it hasn't been a great bet over the past 20 years. And this is this is the point that Mike and I are trying to make to you, is that betting on these tail events of economic disaster and an economic unraveling based on debt to GDP and those type of things, it's not a good bet because the economy can continue to operate with high leverage levels for a lot longer than you think. Mike, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I would just say say it a little differently. Betting against the Fed or a central bank or betting against the government is a really tough bet to make. You may be right at some point, and he's right. It's a slow motion train wreck, but that train wreck may have 20 more, 30 more years left mm -hmm. in it. That's right. So, all right, quick break. We're going to come back. We'll get ready to wrap up the show. I do want to kind of flip the table a bit and talk a little bit about the, the markets, uh, where they are right now. I, kind of got, I went through some... Uh, you know, kind of charts this morning at the first part of the show about some different asset classes. But I want to come back and, and touch on those with Mike and get his view as well. So don't go away. More of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so um markets as i talked about this morning um in the opening segment have been doing well over the last three days so don't get too excited we've had a three-day rally of course it's not you know making up for the beating that stocks have taken really since uh last june really July. Uh, we had three months of a you know three straight months of declines in the markets. It's been pretty tough on investors. So you know definitely the rally over the last three days has been very welcome um, and not unexpected. We've talked about how oversold the market was. We're due for a rally. So here it is. And we talked about you know you know if you have been under a lot of pressure in your portfolio and you know just stress from the decline, this is the rally that we've been talking about. Use this rally to try to sell into it and, you know, raise a little bit of cash, rebalance your holdings, whatever you want to do to help, you know, reduce your risk profile in your portfolio. But, you know, markets always give you an opportunity to do that. The question is, is, you know, was yesterday it or is there more to come? Right now, futures are pointing up fairly nicely. The S&P is up about 26. Um, NASDAQ's up about 115 this morning. And this is, you know, you know, but that can change. I mean, we can, we've can we seen days where we open up strong and then sell off into the end of the day and wind up negative. So 
you know, we're testing a, a very important level of resistance in the market, the 200-day. We've got to get above that today and hold above it tomorrow. If we don't, then it's a, it's a failed test of that resistance. Just like we were talking previously about the 200-day holding support at the 200-day, it broke that and then sold off sharply because of the technical you know, kind of these computerized algorithmic trading. So again, you know, that's where we are just overall. Um, bonds also have had a very nice turn, turning up on a buy signal. So we're seeing, and, and again, there's been a big correlation. Um, bonds sell off, stocks sell off, bonds rally, stocks rally. So kind of all asset classes are tied to the hip at the moment, which makes this a bit difficult. But um, I want to talk about some specific issues um, in, in the markets real quick. But Mike, I just kind of want to get your, you know, broad take first. Yeah, we're having, you know, market got pretty beat up. We're having a little rally. I think some of it is because the Fed is becoming a little more dovish. Uh, some of it is because yields have started falling. And some of that is based on, you know, we saw a decent rally after the Treasury announcement. And I think interestingly, we've seen some weaker data, right? The market rallied on weak data yesterday between ADP and the ISM report was very weak. Uh, I think they pulled, what, 16 or 18 industries and only two were showing growth. So, you know, it's kind of interesting that stocks are rallying on the potential for weaker economic growth, but weaker economic growth means lower interest rates. Um, so, again, I think a lot of the focus is on interest rates here. And, you know, the other kind of interesting thing in the market is the sector rotations and the way that some days it's a very much a big tech day that those seven stocks that are kind of that were leading the market lead the market other times they're the dogs of the market uh it, it's a very kind of a bipolar market tough to day to day tough to kind of read anything into trends what's doing well what's not doing well uh earnings have been really hard to decipher AMD and CVS, two stocks that we own, reported earnings. Both were good. Both fell 5% right after earnings, and both recovered it all. Um, and AMD actually ended up, what, up 10% yesterday yeah. after falling initially 5%. Yeah. CVS pretty much got back everything it lost in the morning. Um, we've seen it with AbbVie Ab too. Uh, plenty of stocks are having these very weird reactions to good earnings, to bad earnings, just not what we're kind of used to. And there's not much to depend on in the market uh, on a day-to-day -day basis as far as which stocks, which sectors, which industries are, are taking the lead or which ones are falling back. Yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting this morning. You know, one thing we've been kind of looking for is some some clues, right, that the consumer is starting to slow down a bit. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, Target, um, the CEO, Brian Cornell, said that shoppers are pulling back even on groceries as they're feeling more stressed about their budgets. This was an interview that he did with uh, CNBC this morning. He says, but even in the food and beverage categories over the last few quarters, the units, the number of items they're buying has been declining. So again, you know, that's kind of this, you know, one of the concerns, you know, for corporate earnings going forward is that estimates right now for earnings in 2024 are very high. Um, they're expecting er the, that, you know, uh, quarter four earnings of 2024 will basically surpass the peak of earnings in January of 2022. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're very optimistic of a, of a very strong economy next year. 
But we're really starting to see from some of these CEOs and from some of these earning calls that there is pressure coming to the market. You know, one of the, you know, one of the industry leaders right now is Eli Lilly. We, you know, said that, you know, they're going to announce earnings. They announced their earnings this morning. And what was interesting is, is they actually slashed their profit outlook going forward. Um, and this is the company, and I, and I, I misquoted there. I said Ozempic. Uh, that's Nova Nordisk that makes Ozempic. They make Majorno, um, Majaro, which is the weight, the diabetes that diabetes drug that they're looking to try to push into the weight loss uh, category. Um, so there's a lot of expectations. Though the stock's up about 52 percent this year on this expectation of this massive generating profit coming from this this weight loss drug, but they actually turned around and cut their outlook this morning for the next quarter. Uh, I did think this was also interesting. The company um, had reported $387 million in the second quarter of 2022 in COVID sales. They, you want to guess how much they had in sales this quarter, Mike, for, for their COVID vaccine? I can't hear him. I'm sorry, 10% of that? 10%? How about zero sales? <laughs> they had zero, zero sales of their COVID antibody. <laughs> so, wow. That, that, and again, this is, we, Mike and I have been talking about this with Pfizer and, and a lot of the other companies that were dependent on those COVID vaccines for profits back in 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, those have fallen off the cliff. Basically, nobody's taking those. I saw an ad last night for Spike Vex. Nice. They've changed the name of the medication to Spike Vax. And what's what's it? What's, what's vaccinating now? It's a spike. It's a COVID vaccine, but, but they're the, calling it Spike Vax gotcha. instead of COVID. Gotcha. But anyway, so um, back to what we're talking about. You know, I think you know this is the, there's a lot of expectations built into earnings going into next year that may not come to fruition, and you know we're starting to see that in some of these announcements. Not and even uh, AMD, which. Uh, reported earnings, like Mike said, they were down 5%. Why were they down 5% after their earnings announcement? Because they cut their their forward guidance. And we've seen that on numerous companies that have come out and report earnings is they're actually cutting guidance. They're bringing Wall Street estimates down uh, for the next quarter going out. Because And that suggests that the economy is actually running a bit weaker than, you know, kind of what this, this 5% growth rate that we saw in third quarter is probably an anomaly and we're probably looking at much weaker growth in the fourth quarter and first quarter of next year. Mike? Yeah, and I think the other problem with these earnings is inflation. So I think it was either Coke or Pepsi. Unit sales, so how many cans of, you know, and packages did they sell was down a couple percent. But their sales as a dollar figure were up, I want to say, 8 to 10 percent. That means they're being helped by inflation, but consumers are buying less. Right. They're buying less goods. And that's what the Target guy is saying, too. You know, I think what's striking about the Target statement is that he says even on groceries, because yep. that's kind of the last thing that people st slow down spending on. So, you know, but again, the question is, it's going to be hard to see this working through the earnings when when we're at maximum employment. So it, it's almost like a disjointed economy. There's some people that are suffering despite having jobs and others that are doing well. And, and in the aggregate, it all seems hunky dory. Yep. But, you know, I, but I agree. I think the next, you know, three to six months will look 
decently different than what we've been through the last six months. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, it's even showing up in the uh, stationary coat hangers, too, because this morning Peloton announced their earnings of $0.44 cent loss versus $0.34 cents expected. Revenue was $595 million. Um, stock's down about 8% this morning. And, you know, so this is just, again, you know, these more, and I'm, I'm picking on Peloton just because I think it's funny. Um, it was a bad business model that they came out with. And it, was it was inevitable it would die, but it was just a function of time. Um, but, you know, these more discretionary items are, you know, the things that are going to get cut first. Again, you know, I don't need to necessarily go buy a, you know, a bike with a subscription on it. I can go walk outside. So, you know, there are, there are more and more. Oh, by the way, that brings up a great topic before we hit the break. There is a new trend. Millennials have a new trend. Oh. And this is very important. They've come up with a new thing to make you feel better, right? If you need to feel better, it's called quiet walking. <laughs> this is a, the process of going outside and taking a walk without your earbuds. No music, just looking around the world and enjoying it. And they said it's a, it's a fantastic experience to just go outside and admire the beauty of the world as it is outside without wow. your earbuds. So quiet walking. It's what a new trend. Invention. I mean, nobody has ever thought about this before. It's brilliant. You know what's coming? You know what's the next one is? Getting rid of your cell phone and having a landline. This is the, you know, you're going to have one phone in the house. Nobody's ever, this is going to be the new thing. Mike and I are going to start a business on this because it's a billion dollar industry because nobody's ever thought about having a phone in your house that everybody just uses. I think you might be onto something. Yeah. Yeah. I, Lance, you know, I, I think we I could probably. I think I think we could even go out and actually build a machine to go with it that takes messages. Wouldn't that be cool? Ooh, Lance, I got our next investment idea. We're gonna buy a book company <laughs> because they're gonna all of a sudden they're gonna say, "Shut the TV, let's read books." There's another new one. But, but we gotta have an education system about how to open a book. <laughs> so, all right, <laughs> wraps up the show for the day. Come up with your billion dollar idea next. <laughs> right here on The Real Investment Show. Have a great weekend, uh, Danny and Richard, in tomorrow. Don't forget to register for Candy Coffee this Saturday as well. It's on the website now. Talking turkey about your money. Saturday morning, 8 a.m., uh, Candy Coffee on the website now. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.